How are we going, mates? Welcome back to another episode of The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. I have a special guest for you uh, this week, Tim Kistner. He was the head of international scouting for the Seattle Mariners, also worked for the Phillies, a couple other teams as well for a very long time. He was the dude who signed off on Julio Rodriguez down in the Dominican Republic. He tells that story, talks about the um, little interview process he doesn't usually have with 16-year-olds in the Dominican Republic, and everything else, what you would expect from a kid who is ultimately about to turn into a superstar. I know he's struggling right now. I get it. He's struggling, but that's not going to last at all. This kid is going to be an absolute superstar in the game. So Tim is about to join me in just one second. Before we get into that, make sure you go subscribe to the show. I do Mariner Mondays on Monday. I do a weekly recap. I do breakdowns. And then I have Grant Balfour or guests like Tim Kistner later on in the week. Go subscribe, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. All right, you've done that. You've subscribed. All right, let's uh, bring in Tim Kistner as he joins me right here on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. This is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Tim Kistner, my man, how are we doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's good to, it's good to connect finally. Now, I asked you about this. I saw the Oregon State Beaver shirt. If you can see that, you see the little beaver down there. What, what's the what's – the, uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can you can see the beaves, which is perfect here for the Northwest. There are a bunch of beaver fans, dude, um, here, even in Seattle. So uh, what's the connection? What do you, what, what's going on? What's with the Oregon State Polo? You know, uh, Mitch Cannon and I worked together. He's, Mitch is the head coach at Oregon State, obviously. We worked together with the Mariners when I was – uh, the director of international scouting and Mitch was one of our younger minor league managers. And going back, I'd seen Mitch play in high school. I'd seen Mitch play at Oregon state when they won national titles. I'd seen Mitch play in the minor leagues. And then we worked together with the Mariners and uh, kind of formed this uh, pretty cool friendship. And uh, I had, I had played at Oregon state back in the nineties. And uh, so I was, I think I was there like a couple falls ago watching the Beavs work out in the fall. And uh, Mitch is like, dude, where's your Oregon State stuff? And I'm like, it's in a duffel bag somewhere, <laughs> you know? And he goes, you need some updated gear. And the gear is obviously a lot better now than when I was there. So Mitch sent me a package to my house with a bunch of pretty cool stuff. So, in the, okay, so the gear is much better. So talk me through the stuff that was in the duffel bag. And I don't know if you're exaggerating or not, or if you did keep it, because I keep all my stuff, man. Like if it's, if it's a polo and a hoodie or something from like <laughs> 20 years ago, I'm keeping it. So g give us an idea. What's the difference back then to, I mean, they get kitted out now. There's a kid, Travis Bazana, who's gone to Oregon state. Oh yeah. And yeah, he lived here for two months. I'm looking at his gear. I'm like, man, but talk us through what, what's some of the gear you got back in the nineties there at Oregon state. I remember like we'd get like one pair of spikes, a glove, I think I had two black, like 100% Russell cotton t-shirts that, like, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the, Russell, the collars yeah. now are all like threadbare. I think they're threadbare under the armpits. Like you, you, every other day you wear that same t-shirt to practice. Basically, we had like one pullover for like you know cold rainy days in the fall in Corvallis. It did zero <laughs> to keep like the rain off. It probably attracted the rain. 
two uniforms, like a white, you know, white set and a gray set. And I think we did have like a third top or something like that. But I go back there now, man. And it's like, it's like the big leagues in terms of uh, oh, just yeah. the amount of stuff they get. It's crazy, man. I remember rolling into Peoria sports complex, even professional baseball. Like yeah, everyone, the stuff they get now is ridiculous. But I remember the, um, remember like the meshy shorts, right? I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like I lost mine or someone stole them. Like you had to put a locker, a lock on your, you know, your locker because everyone was stealing stuff, a bunch of 18 year olds, but someone had taken my shorts or they didn't come back from the wash and just getting another pair. dude was like pulling teeth, man. Like, yeah, I don't, we didn't even get shorts. I did not have Oregon state baseball shorts. I had somebody had given me a <laughs> pair of Oregon state football shorts. So I had these like football shorts from some dude that was probably six, five that like went down to my knees. And that was what I'd wear for shorts nice. like in the gym every day with a pair of Oregon State football shorts. Nice. All right, man. So I, I want to talk to you. And obviously, you know, I, I'm here. I'm covering the Mariners. And we've talked quite a bit. And we've sort of developed a uh, friendship. Now, you've been involved in scouting for a long time, international scouting especially, right? Yeah. So, and the big one, you know, Julio Rodriguez. All right. So I want to dive into Julio in just a second. But I do want to talk about okay. scouting. Scouting is a fascinating um, career really and it's it's you know the, the whole industry itself obviously it's changing a ton and everything else how did you get you mentioned you went to you went to Oregon State you played there how did you get into scouting you know I had my, my kind of my goal in life when I left Oregon State was to be a, a college baseball coach and that's just kind of what I, I thought I wanted to do and I was uh, I was coaching up in the Alaska League uh, I was coaching I was like the, one of the assistant coaches for the Anchorage Basher Pilots and I'm sitting in the stands before it's the, the end of the season tournament and we're getting ready to play like the night game. And I'm watching the two teams play before us. And I happen to sit next to Logan White in the stands. And so all the scouts from down south are up there scouting the tournament. And Logan White at the time, I think he was the West Coast cross checker for the Orioles. He became the scouting director for the Dodgers. I'm pretty sure Logan's responsible for signing Clayton Kershaw, Matt Kemp. Um, Logan had, has had a tremendous scouting career and, uh, now he is, uh, and he does something with the Padres now, but longtime scout. So he's sitting there and he's, he's asking me questions, you know, here's this young coach and he starts to, I have no idea who Logan is. And he says, Hey, Tim, who are the two best prospects on your team? And I tell him these two players and he goes, no, no, no. Those are your two best players. Who are your two best prospects? And I go, what are the, dif what's the difference? I'm like 25 years old. And he goes, well, the two best players are the guys that are going to help you win the game today. I want to know who's going to help me win a World Series in Baltimore in four years. And I go, oh, this guy and this guy. And he goes, yeah, I agree with you on that. So we just kind of sat there for like two hours in the stands, just kind of BSing about, you know, baseball and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, have you ever thought about being a scout? And I said, uh, you know, I, I had when I was getting my like when I was finishing up school, I had been an associate scout, kind of just, you know, watching some players and that kind of stuff, helping out a guy named Scott Golby, who was with the Expos and Scott's been scouting forever. And but I, I just kind of thought I wanted to be a college coach. So Logan, about two weeks later, after the end of the season, he calls me up and he goes, hey, man, I, you want to interview for a job? And I was like a scouting job. And so I, I interviewed with the Orioles with a guy named Gary Nichols at a hotel in Seattle Man, I was not ready for it at all. I had no idea what I was doing. Long story short, don't get it. About I go back to a junior college in California where I'm coaching at in Northern California. The twins call me. I have a couple interviews with them. Don't get it. And then like out of the blue, a week later, the Phillies call me. And uh, 
I, I knew Bill Harper, who was a longtime Philly scout who lived in Corvallis. Bill played basketball and baseball at Oregon State, and I believe he coached basketball and baseball at Oregon State, but he had given my name to somebody, and the Phillies called me, and I interviewed for a job with the Phillies, and they offered me the job, and that was uh, like 1999, so that was when I got started. In the first year, um, it, and I really, there's a couple people that I'm really, really thankful for. I mean, Logan White, like sitting there in the stands with him, like he was extremely helpful, um, early on, Scott Golby, who's still scouting today with the Florida Marlins. I mean, he was, he was really, really helpful when I was a young guy, just kind of pushing me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that, I mean, there, there's those people. And then the guys that gave me a chance when I was super young with the Phillies, like Mike Arbuckle and Marty Wolliver and, uh, Jimmy Fergosi Jr. Who passed away last year, um, were all, you know, pretty, pretty crucial to my, my scouting career. So, so going back, you mentioned Logan Watts in the stands and you said, yeah, these are the two players. Now you're 25 years old at this point. And then yeah. he says, no, no, who are the two guys who are going to help me win the world series at 25? Because look, people have asked me all the people have asked me, oh, Hey, is scouting you is something you'd like to get into. And obviously naturally being Australian, they look at it and say, well, you could do like some sort of international, not that I was ever offered a job. But I just have this feeling like I would not be good at it because I just have a tough time, especially younger players identifying. Uh, I wouldn't sign anyone, man. I'm just too, I'd be too critical of every player. But going back to that, you said that he said, okay, now who are the two players that are going to help me win the world series? What was the difference in your mind? Because usually at 25, you look at the two best players and say, yeah, these are the guys. Well, we, we had, so I remember that. I remember who the two players were. We had, we had Ben Diggins, who was right out of high school and he had been a first round pick that year. And I can't remember with what club, but he hadn't signed and he had come to play for us. I mean, and, and Ben, he, I mean, you know, <laughs> he was, uh, Ben was sick, Ben. I, and I'm pretty sure he's a scout now, but he's like six, seven. He had, if not 80, 70 raw power, he was throwing like 94, 95 off the mound. I mean, he was like early on, like he was a two way guy. And I think there was, debate on whether he was a better pitcher or hitter I mean and, and he struck out a lot that summer but when he got a hold of it I mean it it flew and yeah. when he was on the mound like you could see like his arm was quicker than everybody else he had better you know we didn't t- say spin rate but he spun it a lot harder than everybody else yeah. and then we had a left-handed pitcher from Stanford who was also very young named Mike Gosling and he was a big strong durable lefty who could had a really good overhand curveball you know, it was probably low nineties at the time, which was pretty good. So while they, they had like their, their, their bumps and bruises and like the young mistakes, like, you know, you think about rookie ball compared to the big leagues, you see flashes of brilliance, but the consistency of the game just isn't there. So you right. saw like the, the flashes of brilliance out of these guys, but that I want Ben pinch hitting in the ninth, you know, eh, just because yeah. of the swing and miss yeah. probably not. Gotcha. Um, so there was guys that were more polished, but with not near the upside. Right. I gotcha. And then, so, and then you mentioned the interview. So what kind of stuff, if you're going into this and, and this, let, let, let's say hypothetically, I'm a young 25 year old who wants to get into scouting, right? Like for example, um, if you're going into an interview process, the kind of questions, what are they asking you? If you've never scouted before, how are you going to, you know, at that entry level scouting job, how are you going to get that job over someone else? I remember there's a guy named Darren Johnson uh, and Darren was uh, the scouting director for the Minnesota twins for a long time. He's still with the twins. And he was, when I interviewed with the twins, I think he was my second. Now he's my first interview with the twins. 
And I remember the, the questions he asked were very baseball specific. He was like, what are red flags you look for when you're like, if you're watching a pitcher, a young pitcher, what are some red flags that are going to like scare you off? Like maybe like with his mechanics or his arm action or something like that from, from that pitcher as a prospect, like, let's say he's throwing hard, but what are some, some negative things that you would, and I'm like, uh, I, and the, those are things I hadn't thought about, you know, I'm like, well, I want somebody to throw strikes, but you know, it's like, that's the end result. Yeah. But, you know, what prevents guys from throwing good strikes? Well, lack of athleticism, lack of a balanced delivery, a big head jerk, uh, you know, a short stab in the back. You know, all the all the things we kind of talk about in, in scouting that uh, can lead to pitchers struggling to repeat their delivery, which leads to the inability to command the strike zone. Right. So, and then he talks so, about, like, if you have a center fielder, what's your favorite tool you want out of the center fielder? And stuff like that. Right. I got you. Okay. Interesting, man. Because – like I said, 25, obviously you've played, so that helps, right? I just feel like the game has changed so much, right? And I feel like it's got to be more difficult now to scout because the I first of all, I you cannot get away from the eye test. So you can't get away from seeing someone in person, watching what they're doing in between pitches or what they're doing in the dugout, all these little things. Uh, and, and the game has become so analytical, right? And for good reason too. It's a really good foundation. And then from there, what do you get from it? So I think from now, like scouting, if you go back from when you started to to now, right? Do you feel like, is it more challenging now having, because you have to like, you have to also deal with some of this analytical stuff as well. And then all of a sudden you have certain people you know, in the industry who they haven't played or they don't really, they don't have a, a good feel for the eye test. Therefore you have to win over on a certain player or, or, you know, someone you see like, nah, man, this guy's, this guy's going to be a stud. I think from a scouting standpoint, I, I hate to say it's easier, but you have so much more information now. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I first started scouting, you know, you might see the, the college reliever for an inning come in and, you know, throwing 93, 95, snap off a couple good breaking balls. And you're like, man, I, for one inning, I saw this guy and he was okay. And his stats are like mediocre. Nowadays, you have all this additional information where you're like, you might've seen him on his absolute best day. You know, the yeah. rest of the season might've been terrible. Like his like actual like spin rates of his fastball are terrible. So you have all this additional information and you're like, Tim, yeah, you saw a good outing. You saw one good inning, but uh, overall whole he's really not that good of a pitcher so let's go to the guy who's going to be more consistent or mm -hmm. so and but the the issue can be is when you in my opinion when you strictly look at the analytical data and forget to take a look at what your you know what your scouts are seeing right. um that 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 can be where where, where the issue lies at times what, is there is there a is it your job or does it fall on you? Let's say, you know, you, let's say you, you, you're going after some of these high round picks. You're going to invest in a kid, especially a high school kid, right? Mm -hmm. Getting to know how, that kid's personality. Does that fall on you? In Like in regards to, you know, you hear about in the NFL a lot. And, you know, there's the, you know, the movie, like what's the movie? Um, Kevin Costner in it, right? Where he's cruising. Yeah, exactly. Right. So in, in, in regards to that, does it fall on you to try your best to get to know the kid personality wise, or is that something like you're like, Nope, I'm just straight scouting the raw talent and they can figure that out from a development standpoint. I, I for, for me, makeup is like, it's, it's gotta be the sixth tool. It is like yeah. 
yeah. crucially important. And when I first started scouting, that fully, that responsibility was the area scout to get to know the player, uh, know the player inside. Now you go to bat for his, his makeup and his on and off the field type of things. But, you know, if you look at the way the NFL's done it, I mean, they bring in players, they have, it's almost like, you know, they're, it's like, it's like a home inspection. They're checking under the hood. They're checking the foundation. Yeah. They're checking what's up top. <clears throat> We're investing so much money into players nowadays that you have to know, you have to be convicted in the makeup. And, you know, who's the most experienced scouts you have in a department, the scouting director, the, the national cross checkers. I really think it would behoove them. And, and they do nowadays. I mean, if, if a scouting director is considering taking a guy, you know, in the first round or the top 10 picks or something like that, I think they really want to, they want to know the player personally as well. Yeah. Is it, so you said, so the NFL does a good job of it. Do you, do you feel like baseball needs to do a better job well, of it? Or is there... I think they've done, I think the last few years, you know, where they've had the, they've gone to the, uh, the combine in North Carolina where they're bringing in players and that kind of stuff. And the teams are going in. So I think baseball is moving in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Um, of, uh, of of doing a better job of knowing exactly you know who they're who they're selecting. All right, so I want to get to I want to get to Julio Rodriguez. Right, there's a lot of listeners here from Seattle, and they want to know the backstory. So you you basically were the international scout. Talk us through with Julio Rodriguez when mm -hmm. you first saw him as a kid. What separated him? Obviously, it's easy now, man. When he's in the big leagues, and he's <laughs> by the way. It's kind of it's not trending at the moment because he's struggling a little bit. I don't know if you keep up bit. with some of these, you know, yeah. some of these dudes. But he's such just so such a you know so athletic and and everything yeah. else. But talk us through it, man. When did you first see Julio? And and talk us through those first couple of days. So I was the director, and so we had a department of say, depending on the year, twenty five to thirty scouts around the world. And Eddie Toledo uh, was our inner, was our Dominican supervisor. So we had Eddie and then I think five like area scouts in the Dominican. Yeah. And Eddie called me up probably a year and a half before July 2nd of Julio's signing year. And Eddie's been scout. Eddie's in his, I think Eddie just turned 70. He's a scout for the Phillies now. Eddie signed uh, Jose Reyes. Eddie signed Nelson Cruz. Eddie signed Carlos Gomez. I think Eddie signed probably between 40 and 50 major leaguers. One of the mm -hmm. best pure talent scouts I've ever been around. And Eddie calls me up and he's extremely excited. And Eddie didn't get excited very often. And uh, at this point, you know, we don't even know what our budget is going to be for the year Julio is going to be able to sign. And he says, Tim, Tim, I'm driving back from Santiago. And I just saw the, one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen. And I want to give him every dime in our budget. And like, my first thing is like, Eddie, we don't even know what that is yet. Like, you know, and I'm like, but I'm listening because Eddie has never said, I want to sign somebody for $5 million or $4 million or whatever our budget's right. going to be. And I'm like, well, tell me about him. And he's just, oh my gosh, like he, he's got power, but he's a hitter and he's got this like smile and he's just like, he's a center fielder and da, 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 da. I'm like, man, I can't wait to see that guy. Well, in the Dominican at the time, this would have been 2000, early 2016, um, you, I couldn't just show up at a field and, and see a top-notch player. I would have had to work it out like with the Buscone or with the agent to be like, hey, I'm going to be in the Dominican on these days. I want to see him. And he's like, the, the Buscone might say like, 
well, sorry, you're late. Uh, the Dodgers are in town and they get to see him. Or hey, you know, real, quick, Yankees... real quick, not not to break up this story, but, but yeah. explain what a bascone is to people because I know who, people are listening right now going, hold on, what was that word? Because I know agent. What talk, talk us through that. So a buscone in the Dominican Republic, think about it like a uh, like a, an agent slash coach slash a keeper, uh, basically like someone's keeper. keeper for sure. So see, see, no hey, way. by the way, Tim, as you know, you've been to Australia. We don't have these. We don't have these in Australia for sixteen-year-olds. <laughs> Believe no, it or no, not, you don't. <laughs> but you have, but you have leagues like so. And 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 the Dominicans done better of getting leagues. But when these kids are like. 12 and 13 years old, there's not like little leagues like like we have in Seattle. There's not, you know, Northeast Seattle Little League or Kirkland yeah. Little League. These kids are just playing on some random field that's hardly even a field. And there's a guy who's like basically a baseball trainer, you know, a coach who will go around to these kids' families and be like, give me your son for the next two years. Let me train him. He can live with me. You know, he's got like a little you know dorm set up. We're going to practice baseball every day. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to take care of him. And then I'm going to get him signed. And then you're going to be super happy. So basically, these guys are literally coaches slash agents slash trainers all rolled into one. Gotcha. So they basically control, you know, who sees the player, where the players go, and they're like rotation schedule from the academies. So in the Dominican, every organization has an academy. Think of it, a junior college for baseball, more or less. And that's where when I would, I would try to see as many players as I possibly could at the academy. But a lot of times the, the Buscones want to control where you see their players because they ultimately like it's a, that, it's a that, payday. For yeah, but that player doesn't he's not signed with the Dodgers to be at the Dodgers Academy, right? But he has to be he has to sign with like the, the team in order to be at that academy, no? No, we it, when I like I haven't been in international baseball really since 2018 when I was the director with the Mariners, but you would have 30 days with each player. So like if we brought a player into our academy and we hadn't signed him and he was wow, still a free agent, okay. we would have to tell Major League Baseball, hey, we got, uh, you know, Johnny Smith for the next three days and that starts the clock. So you only have 27 days left wow. to view that player. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So Eddie's Eddie's raving about Julio. Um, and every it seemed like every time I went to the Dominican, the agent – and now and so julio was involved had an agent as well uh, or or the buscone like there was two of them and they worked together oh uh, i would always be late like i would never get to see this guy so he was a ghost for like probably five months man five, five months for me and then i remember tom mcnamara was the at the time he had moved out of being a uh, domestic scouting director and he was one of jerry's special assistants and tom mcnamara sees him and he calls me up he's like kiss this guy is the real deal. Like, and Mac, it's all excited. Mac has that excited voice and he's all talking fast. And then Scott Hunter saw him and Scott Hunter's like, kiss, this guy's the real deal. Like this guy. And I'm like, okay, Scotty. And, and, and Scott was now the scouting director, but I had hired Scott to be my international cross checker before he moved on. So Scott and I had a really good relationship and I really trusted him. And then I think Tommy Allison saw him. So I had like three, I mean, I think Eddie's a great scout, but I had, Tom McNamara, Scott Hunter, and Tommy Allison all see him. And they were all right. just raving. Then I'm in the Dominican one day, and, and, I, and I get to see him. We have a huge workout at the academy. I get him for one day, and the agent basically tells me, make a decision. Yes or no? Is, is, this, your, is this your focal point guy for July 2nd? And I'm like, well, I can't commit to you that what, he's what, our what, focal point. 
what what date is this right now though if you said by this july is like 2nd early early january of 2017 Jeez. so i've only now it's like six Man. months before he can sign and that's the first time i've seen him and i go well like in the in the hierarchy of like my like prep list of players i, I can't commit to you that he's my number one guy for july 2nd on one day even though i have all these other tremendous scouts in my opinion that have checked off on him so i'm like just let me have him tomorrow he's like no no he's going to I'm just Cincinnati tomorrow. I can't remember what, what organization or what Academy is going to. So I fly back to Seattle and then I'm home for like a day. And the guy, the the Buscon or the agent calls me back and he's like, if you're really serious, I'll give them to you next Wednesday for one day. And I'm like, "Ah." so I turn around, fly back to the Dominican uh, the next week from Seattle. And uh, so we have a workout set up and it's, it's equally as impressive. And I know that this is like, I have to make a decision either yes or no. Are we going to, is he going to be our main guy for July 2nd? So he tremendous morning workout. And I'm trying to think of different things that we can do to like, you know, like seal the deal in my own mind. Right. So he goes and takes a lunch break and it's, you know, it's hot and humid takes a lunch break. And so we bring him back out to the the cages and I have this, one of our coaches set up a, it was probably like an 82 mile an hour true curveball. Like, remember Brad Lidge's slider that actually yep. like, that dropped? It was like it was, it was a short breaking hard curveball that you'd probably call a slider now, just based on velocity. Yeah. And we I think we had like three or four other kids in there, in addition to Julio, just so they could they could see it. We could compare them a little bit. So I think Julio swings and misses at the first one. I mean, this this is like a a, a wicked pitch, right? <laughs> Yeah. So swings and misses at the first one, proceeds to barrel the next nine up and just and they're like, you know, doubles to like right center, like stays on it, lets it travel, doesn't, you know, lunge, tremendous balance, everything. And he just has this smile. Then the, I don't think maybe two other kids made like a little bit of contact. So then I'm still like, okay, tremendous like ability to make adjustments, hand eye. We bring him inside to one of the conference rooms and Eddie Toledo myself talked to him for like an hour and I'm like this kid's unbelievable his English wasn't very good at the time but when I would ask I would say something in English to Eddie to have him to translate into Spanish and Julio knew what I was saying like he was tracking like you know shaking his head smiling then he'd he'd answer in Spanish and I remember one question I asked specifically was what is something that your mom or dad has taught you about you know, being a good person. And he said something about the, the people that you surround yourself with have to be equally good people or eventually you're going to change. And I'm like, this is wow. a 16 year old kid. 16. And, and I, I looked at Eddie and I'm like, we got to go get Caesar Nicholas. And Caesar was our, um, our Dominican manager, our Dominican summer league manager down there. Uh, Caesar played at Vandy played in the minor leagues uh, I think, I believe Caesar, Caesar's an agent now, but tremendous baseball guy. And so I'm like, I'm going to go grab Caesar. I want Caesar to talk to him. just, you know, just to like, so we're all sitting there, me, Caesar and Eddie, and we're all just like, uh, and I walk out in the hallway and I called, uh, and at, th- at this point in like, you know, you, you kind of have money allocated in different places and uh, we didn't have, uh, didn't have the full budget like Eddie had asked for obviously at this point. <laughs> and so um, I walk out, I call Tommy Allison and I said, uh, Hey, Tommy. And, and Tommy at this point over, he was a 
assistant GM that oversaw all um, all scouting, international, pro, and amateur. And I said, Julio's got to be our number one, our number one priority for July 2nd. I said, I would be not doing my job if I didn't make him a priority. And basically the money that we spent for Julio took us down to, you know, zero dollars in the checking account. Uh, it, you know, that, but commit, committed, we didn't actually, you know, make a full commitment until July 2nd, but the agent knew that we were willing to, to, to go to that dollar figure and make him our yeah. number one guy for July 2nd. Wow. So do you go into this where like it, when you've got like three or four people say, Hey man, you got to see him, go to see him. Do you go into it? Um, like a glass half empty, like prove to me why, I shouldn't like you. Or do you go into it like optimistic saying, oh yeah, I can't wait to see this kid. And because it's easy to get swept up with like, I, I see this all the time, man. I see like a kid who's a prospect, big signing bonus. And especially in the in the minor league level, the whole brass, the whole front office come over, watch this kid pitch. And he's a lefty throwing 88. I'll never forget. There's one instance when I was with the Cubs, this guy, this, this Cuban kid, they signed him. He wasn't panning out. He wasn't throwing the 93s, 95s like he was supposed to be. He was 86s, 87s. I'm listening to these front office guys because I'm right behind the cages there. And they're like, oh, hey, he's got you know pretty good spin on that breaking ball. Oh, you know, Changeup looks good. Like just trying to justify or, or somehow glass half full. But yeah. in a situation like this, obviously with Julio, it's pretty easy to, to walk into a, a situation. Of, it's not easy, he's 16, because who knows what he's going to end up physically, right? But with this, is it something where you're looking at, you know, I have to be really critical and find some reason not to like this kid. So it, I think it kind of changes from like just being a scout to being a director because ultimately you're responsible for the dollars spent. And yeah. I, it really depended on who was, who was telling, who was giving me the information is kind of how I would approach it. Like if there are people that I really, really trusted, but I ultimately felt when I was with the Mariners, like these, especially the Latin kids, they're so far away that you have to be critical because you'll, you'll yeah. see the tools like and it, like the tools are ever abundant um, in, in in Latin America. So I really felt like we have to do additional things to make a good decision, and that is you know sitting down for an hour. I yeah. Over my six years with Seattle, I didn't sit down with many kids for an hour and and, and interview them for an hour basically. Right. But I did that with Julio in order to to feel comfortable in I'm basically spending every dime that I have, and there's still six months to go in the signing period. It's it's crazy too, man. With, with Julio, um, just where he's at now, and kind of the the stature, the status he's gotten as being like that young superstar, Sports Illustrated. But you know, you still are tied to Julio, right? It's in some regard, even you know, from from the ownership and the front office. Yeah, Julio. Uh, we we send uh, text back and forth a little bit. You know, he's always said he wants to. I'm up. I'm in Juneau, Alaska now. I got out of baseball. I'm a police officer, a little career change, but uh, Julio is always like, man, I want to come to Alaska. Uh, and so the other day I, there's a, my ring doorbell goes off and I'm like, yeah, I'm not expecting anybody. I look at, there's a box on my front step. I open it and it's, you know, from the Seattle Mariners. And I'm like, holy cow, like, what's going on? So I open it up and there's a card inside and I open up the card and it says kiss something along the lines of uh, thanks for all you did with Julio. He wouldn't be a Mariner without you. And it's signed Tim and it's from Tim Stanton. Who's uh, the owner's son. And Tim is the, the director of baseball operations now. And 
Tim first started with the Mariners uh, as an intern when I was international director. So we have a pretty, pretty nice relationship, but he sent me the, the bobblehead doll, Julio's bobblehead doll from opening day. Oh, and that is uh, awesome. I was like, I'm looking at the bobblehead doll and I'm like, it's, I think it's the first, well, there might be other players that I signed that have bobblehead dolls, but not like the opening day bobblehead doll, but to look at a kid that was 16 years old and you, you sign him and now you're sitting there holding his bobblehead. I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that is awesome. That is super cool. Yeah. So have you, had you heard that excitement from some of the names you're mentioning, right? Obviously they're higher ups and they're, they're getting excited. Has there been that excitement? You have to name names of players who, if, if they, you know, didn't get to the status of what Julio has obviously gotten to, but has there been other times in your career where, other, where, where a group of guys like that have gotten that excited over a player? Um, you know, specifically for like Tommy Allison, Tommy Mack, Scott Hunter, like hearing the excitement in their voice. I mean, those are three really good scouts in my opinion that are pretty level-headed dudes. And uh, just to have their level of confidence made, making the end with Eddie Toledo made making the Julio decision pretty easy. Um, I remember uh, in the 2010 draft, I was sitting, I was with the Phillies and I was sitting next to Benny Looper. And I think you probably oh, yeah. know Benny. I remember Benny. Yeah. He was the farm director of the Mariners. Yeah. I love that dude. Yeah. yeah. And Benny, Benny passed away a few years ago and tremendous baseball mind. And I loved working with him. And we were talking about um, Christian Yelich and our, our scouting director at the time, Marty Wolliver, really, really wanted him. Uh, Pat Gillick had gone to see him. Pat loved him. Benny loved him. And so we're going around the room and it's basically, do we like Christian Yelich more or, and I can't remember the other player. And we were picking it like late in the first round. And uh, Benny Looper talks about him. And he's sitting, he's sitting next to me at this huge, you know, conference table in the Phillies draft room. And Benny goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, if Christian Yelich doesn't hit in the big leagues, I quit. And I'm like, I mean, that was, it was, it was very like pound the table that this is the guy. Yeah. And I think we took a, we took a break right after that. Like, Hey, let's go get some coffee, use the restroom, whatever. And uh, I look at Benny and I go, uh, Hey, Hey Benny, uh, how long have you been scouting? And he goes, Oh, I, I don't know. Because I because I don't I I don't know. And he go I go, how many times in your career have you said that? And he goes, mm, I, don't, I don't think I ever have. Wow. And I'm like, so we we come we come back and then we're kind of like kind of voting as a group. And I go, I was kind of thinking this other guy, but I and I hadn't seen Christian <laughs> Yelich. I'd seen him as a junior, but not his senior year. And I go, Benny's willing to quit. I'm with Benny. And uh, the Marlins <laughs> ended up taking him before we picked, so it was a mute point. But the conviction that Benny Looper had swayed me. Like, I was like, I was yeah. leaning the other way, but when a guy like Benny Looper says, I quit my job if he doesn't hit, I'm going with Benny. And he was right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you, has there been players that, like, there's been that much conviction, but they just haven't panned out? It has to be, right? I mean, scouting's got to be – that's the difficult part, I think, for me. Two reasons. Number one, it's so hard to predict players. You mentioned Julio Rodriguez being 16 years old. And for me or any other, you know, Mariners fan, basically looking at him going, well, yeah, okay, sure, easy. But it's not, there's there's other Julio Rodriguez types, physical types, right, at 16. Absolutely. Yeah, the Mariners yeah. have had some. I mean, yeah, and I, right. I, hate to, I hate to name names of guys who have had, you know, uh, that haven't lived to their expectations. But, I mean, you can just think of, you know, some 
some players that the Mariners have had in, in recent history, you know, going back 10, 15 years that had all the tools that just didn't pan out. And, there, and there's players with other organizations as well. I mean, you know, what, what made Julio, you know, I, I like to say it was an easy decision. It, once I had met with him for an hour, I felt fully convicted. But that same year Julio came out, there were players with equal amounts of power as Julio. There was young players that, that you know, had the same uh, arm strength as Julio. There was the same type of players that had um, the ability to play the outfield and show instincts. There was the same kids that you that you liked the way they smiled, but it's putting them all together in the same player uh, that made Julio the, the the complete package. But you know that's what you know with these young Latins, you you see crazy amounts of tools that we don't all the time see here in the in the U.S. Yeah, right. It's it's oh man, I just like it it would just it would be so difficult especially especially from the international standpoint like in australia right like obviously i grew up in australia so and we do have we we do have a few australian listeners uh listen to this who you know have have young 16 year olds and everything else but you you, you do that from an international standpoint and you and i've said this many times you the priority is latin america because the abundance of talent and then obviously you go to asia and and that there there's a priority there to spend your money and your dollars there, obviously. And Australia, I've always said this. Australia is kind of always that like the last sort of you know frontier, basically. To if you do have some money left over, go to Australia and see what's there, right? So it's it's and you roll into Sydney at some tournament, you're looking at a kid, and the reps they just don't have the same reps, like especially compared to American kids, they just haven't played enough. So the physical tools just aren't there. And then all of a sudden on top of that, you have to somehow predict that if this kid's a good athlete, the makeup, everything that you mentioned, that makes it so it's, it's crazy that the, the, the profession is wild, especially now too, when you have to pair that with some of the analytical stuff, you know, you know, the internationally wise, like I've always kind of compared like in the U S Southern California, Texas, Florida, those kids, warm weather, Arizona, they play all the time. And they get tons of reps and, you know, you get kids from Maine or Washington or the Dakotas and they just, the weather, the reps, like they're kind of, they're not sometimes as far, as far along as the warm weather kids. It's the same kind of thing with like Australia, Taiwan, uh, compared to, to Latin America. Like I used to love going to Australia, but you're right. They're just, you can't compare a 16 year old in Australia usually to a 16 year old in the Dominican right. just because they don't have the same amount of reps and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, but it, there have been some like tremendously successful scouts out of Australia, like Deebs, John Deeble, and Howie Norsetter, Kevin Hooker. Like those guys have had at one point the Phillies in like 2005, we had five or three Australians on our 40 man roster uh, Brad Harmon, yeah. uh, Canelli, and oh, I can't remember the third guy. Um, I should remember this, but I can't. But and the Phillies, and then <laughs> trying to remember the back. Guy. I should but like with you, like, you know, with you, Snelling, Travis Blackley, like the Mariners did a tremendous job in Australia um, with like signing three of you guys. Well, well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But what, what's the, what's the measure of success? If you're a scout and, and it's one of these things, like if you're a young scout, you're going into, oh, I'm, I'm going to sign all these guys. We're going to play in the big leagues. But what's that measure of success to say, look, you've done a fantastic job. If this kid, plays one day in the big leagues or is it no this kid has to be a really good player if, if we're going to take you seriously as a scout at that level i really think you just kind of look uh how much money you spent versus your rewards i mean sometimes 
having a player be a really good minor league player, that's a successful pick. The guy helped bolster your minor leagues, helped make minor leagues, you know, he's, he's a good complimentary player for the prospects. Um, maybe, maybe he gives the GM a trade value. I mean, that a lot of the, mm-hmm. er, <clears throat> there's a lot of Latin kids that I signed that um, never got to the big leagues, but Jerry was able to trade them and, and get, you know, big leaguers back for him. So in my opinion, that's a very successful yeah. uh, selection. So it, it just really depends. I think kind of, you know, how much money you, you invest in them. All right, Tim, I'll, I'll get to know who are some guys that you have signed, right? You personally, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't a whole lot of money that you had to kind of stick your neck. Well, no, actually, I'll, t- I'll take that back. Let's start with the guys you didn't have to pay a whole lot of money for, like just uh-huh. cheap signings that you're like, this kid's going to pan out, but it's going to cost us nothing. Any part of the world, whether it's even in the States or in Latin America or wherever, who are some big surprises that you've signed that you remember that and you've signed? I signed uh, Scott Matheson back in 2002 for very little money. And he was, I think, a 17th round draft pick out of uh, the Vancouver, BC area. Played parts of four years in the big leagues with the Phillies. Had a couple Tommy Johns. Ends up in, in Tokyo playing for the Yomir Giants and had a very successful, I think, eight-year career over there. And uh, to watch Scotty go from being a 17-year-old gawky, 87 to 89 mile an hour uh, kid. And I remember watching him close the game out in Sendai, Japan versus Fukuoka. It was, it was at the Tokyo Dome because he's closing 40,000 people to Tokyo, Tokyo Dome and they bring him in and 40,000 people are chanting Matheson, Matheson. And I remember nice. thinking like, I have known Scotty since he was 17 years old. He had 40,000 people chanting his name and he's coming in throwing 98 miles an hour. And like, that was that like, awesome. that was one of the coolest scouting moments for me, like goosebumps and stuff. Um, we signed a, uh, I signed Inyil De Los Santos, uh, who's now with the Guardians uh, out of the Dominican for, yeah. uh, for under $10,000. Wow. Eddie Toledo and I, we had a, uh, an area scout named uh, Domingo Toribio at the time. I saw him in a bullpen at the, at the academy, and I'm like, this guy is just like everybody else. Like, whatever. Like, why do you guys want this guy? And, and uh, Toribio had this real gruff, raspy voice, and he goes, you got to see him in a game. So, like, two days later, we, we make, like, an inter-squad game at the academy. And it's every – he steps up everything. Better breaking ball, better fastball, better intensity. And I'm just like – you're right. Like, yeah, I, right. God bless you for like, you know, sticking up for the kid. So we signed him. And uh, I remember he, he, he signs, he comes to Arizona and I get a phone call from Jack Sorensic and Jack didn't call very much. He really let me alone. Let me do my job. And usually it was something that, you know, Hey, hey Tim, we got to talk about this. Like <laughs> you made a mistake or something like that. But he was so supportive and just letting me do my job. And he calls me up and he's like, Hey, I'm in Arizona. And I'm like, Hey, man, how are you doing? He goes, I just saw this day, the Santos kid, how much did you pay him? And I'm like, I tell him and he goes, Holy cow. Like great job. And I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> appreciate it, Jack. Appreciate it. Um, we signed my first year with Seattle. We signed Freddie Peralta for not very much money. Um, Freddie's now with, he was an all-star two years ago, I think with, uh, yeah. with Milwaukee. He's done very, very well. 
Um, signed Travis Darno with the catcher with the Braves, but you know that's significant. You know, pretty significant signing bonus. Kyle Kendrick was out of the Seattle area. Uh, he pitched for like nine years in the big leagues. Yeah. wasn't wasn't a big signing bonus at all. Um, Kyle and I, uh, really cool Kyle story. He he gets his first like arbitration type of deal, and it's not huge arbitration money like nowadays, but it's significant. Yeah. And he calls me up and he's like, Hey man, where, where are you at? I said, I was with the Cubs at the time. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in uh, Florida. We're having meetings in Tampa. And he goes, can you get lunch tomorrow? And he lives in, he lives in Clearwater. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get lunch with you tomorrow. And he, uh, he comes to we go grab a sandwich and he has this bag in his hand and he gives me this bag. He goes, man, this is for you. This is, this is, this is my way of saying thank you. And I'm like, so I open up this bag and there's a, a tag you were watching there. Oh, and nice. he had gone out and bought me a tag viewer watch, and as a way of saying thank you, he goes, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you believing in me." Because we took him in the seventh round out of Mount Vernon High School, and I was like, "Kyle, like, I, I've never gotten a gift from a player before." Like this, he goes, "Take wow. it, please take it." And that was one of the that was a pretty cool. What you know, thank you very much. I don't expect anything. Watching you play on TV is, you know, I, I love watching you play on TV. That's the enough reward for me. Um, and I, I, one that the Mariners fans will recognize is Juan Thin. Uh, we just we signed Juan Thin. I can't remember what year it was, but he uh, pitched yesterday. He, just yeah, I, I've been I've been following since he came up. Uh, we're friends on Instagram, and I I sent him a like a hey great job, man, congratulations. I think Juan, if you look at him now, you'd be and if I showed you pictures from when we signed him, I think he might have weighed 135 pounds. Wow. I remember thinking. I like this guy. He is so frail. He is so skinny. Gosh. And then you start watching him develop and fill out. And now you're like, if you look at him now, you'd be like, that was a skinny kid. Yeah. 135 pounds, but he had a lightning quick arm. It worked really easy. And you want to talk about a competitor. Like this kid was, you know, I'll save the, uh, the profanities for off the air, but I mean, this oh, kid fun. was a, yeah, he was a, this kid was an asshole right. on the mouth. Yeah. yeah right. at, uh, at 16 years old, you're like, this kid wants to win. And uh, Eddie Toledo loved him. Just was like, Tim, we got to sign this guy. And again, it wasn't very much money, but kudos to Eddie and the, and the staff down there for identifying him. And then we were able to get him for. So you must have seen, and, and I, I, I want to ask some of these dumb questions because I know people are thinking, but you must have seen no some guys. No dumb questions who... in baseball, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You must have seen some dudes with just like really good stuff, and yeah, you know, all the 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 feedback, or even the analytics say, "Man, this kid's like top of the charts." Like whether it be the spin or the way the the breaking ball profiles, whatever. But then you watch him from a scouting point of view on the mound, and he's not an asshole. He's not. He doesn't have that presence on the mound, or there's something there, right? That like is something that you cannot put. You you can't quantify. You must have seen that too, surely. I've seen first round you, picks to go in the top ten. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I said I've seen first round picks that go in the top 10 that I shied away from that I yeah. wanted no part of. And they might be, you know, they might be throwing 96, 97 with a wicked breaking ball, and they're a 500 pitcher in college. That that doesn't add up. There's something yeah. wrong there. Despite yeah. the the spin, despite the velocity, despite the, you know, great body on the mound, there's something that's just not right. And that has to ask you. You ask more questions and hopefully make a better decision. Do, do you reach out to like, uh, we talked about doing the, the makeup stuff. Do you reach out to coaches, friends? Like how, how, how far can you dig 
in in regards to that? Um, pretty far. Like I've I've talked to yeah. you know, and, and the longer you're in baseball, the more like I have you know I have major league coaches that are guys that I consider friends now that you know I can call and ask. Yeah. Um, you know, I have college coaches that I'm like, hey, I know this guy. I played with I played in college with with this guy. Like I know he's going to shoot me straight. Like yeah. I know Mitch is going to tell me the true story about a player at Oregon State. Um, because you know, they, they want to be reputable and they want to just, they want to be honest for the most part. Yeah. But you can do a lot of digging teammates. Uh, I've talked to, uh, (laughs) wives and girlfriends in the stands when I'm scouting. And, uh, I remember, but but the thing is that they know you're a scout, right? Like it, can you go there with like a hoodie and just be like, Oh, Hey, let's go. Let's hear it. I want to hear this. I'm 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 in the, the pioneer league, like in Billings, Montana, early two thousand, uh, mid two thousands, it's Oh five, Oh four. And there's this like second round draft pick left-handed pitcher that at the time's like 93, 94 with a breaking ball. And you're like, you know, this is at the time, that's a, that's pretty high end type stuff. And uh, so this gal sitting next to me and she's wearing a, I forget what school he had gone to, but she's wearing the same hoodie from that, that school. And I think I'm even wearing like a Phillies pullover or something. And she goes, that's my boyfriend pitching. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, you know, radar gun taking notes. And uh, I go, so how long you guys been together? Oh, a couple years. And she starts talking about him and she's just freely giving me information. And I, I like the way this guy's going about it. Like I, this guy, I'm like writing good notes and she goes, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah, shoot. She goes, his, his, his uh, pinky, his ring finger, and his middle finger, they're always numb after he pitches. Wow. Is that bad? And I'm like, so she keeps going on and she goes like, yeah, it really, like his, his, he's really like in a lot of pain right now. And so I'm like, I go, Hey, um, I'm a scout. I go, my job is to like figure out all the pros and cons about this guy. I said, there's going to be other scouts that come through here. I said, you don't want to share that with everybody. Like your, your boyfriend's like, you know, health issues you want to keep between you and him. Okay. And she goes, did I do something bad? And I'm like, just don't do it again. <laughs> you know, like you might've just one, one team might be out of the picture forever, you know, trading for him, but just don't repeat that stuff. <laughs> so it'd be amazing. What, what, uh, what wives and girlfriends will, will tell you or moms for the most will tell you. Do you, do you remember, did that kid, did he ever, did, did he ever get drafted? you remember? Or? Oh, he, he was already, I think he was a second oh. round pick with another organization, gotcha. but like, you know, gotcha. put, like, yeah, I would trade, I would trade for this guy. Like, and then like, you know, in the medical comments, I'm like, gotcha. Girlfriend, follow up girlfriend says, you know, some serious <laughs> numbness and tingling. <laughs> hey, speaking of, do you ever go on, I mean, uh, this is more recent, but I've told kids, man, cause I do a lot of stuff with, you know, getting kids into college and stuff like that. Sure. I tell them this all the time. Every time I'm working with an Aussie kid, I'm trying to get him to a really good D1 school. I go through their Instagram, right? Or their TikTok or whatever. And I'm like straight away. And some of them have a real tough time doing it. I'm like, get this shit off your friggin' Instagram ASAP. Like it's just them like at a, at a party with their buddies holding a beer or it's just some bullshit where they're like, they're like, Oh, you know, boat life or some rubbish where they're trying to look like they're big time. It's just straight. Like if I'm a scout or, or, a, or a college recruit, I'm just like, Oh, cr-, like you're just cringing. Like, really? Like you, it, do you, do you, do you ever, do you guys ever dive into the old Instagram or the socials? Absolutely. Yeah. That's like one of the questions on the, 
one of the questions on like the MLB questionnaire is like, what's your social media? If there right. was, I remember when I was in Los Angeles, when I was, I was scouting in Southern California and there was a, a pitcher who like, the guy ended up playing for a long time, but he was going to be a pretty high draft pick. And this is back when it was MySpace, like long before oh, yeah. Facebook was MySpace. Ooh. And this dude's MySpace page, the background of his MySpace page was a pot leaf. And then if you went through and looked at the pictures, <laughs> like bottle of vodka and this, it's like a 17 year old kid bottle of vodka in one hand like i was so effed up last weekend and like he slid that he still got drafted but he slid in the draft because of the stuff that he had on oh my god unreal be smart that stuff doesn't go away like when i was a kid like there was i made tons of mistakes at oregon state it's just not documented on social media thank goodness oh yeah but nowadays (laughs) nowadays that stuff haunts you forever oh big time big time man i just it's shocking. I mean, and these these kids like ha- have sort of like a, a good idea, like oh, okay, I don't want to be holding a beer or something. Like that. But it's just even like the, the the bullshit, like like I said, like where they're trying to look like they're big time or something like that. It's just is such a deterrent. Yeah, you know, I get it. I understand if they're like a teenager or if they're like a twenty year old or any of that kind of stuff. All right, so real quick, last thing before I let you go, man. So yeah. you've got so I signed for thirty thousand bucks, right? Australian yeah. kid, regardless of where I'm from. If you've got a kid like especially from high school or, or, or a, a low draft pick, obviously the signing bonus matters, right? It's how much you invest in. You, do they, are they on the outside looking in? Like it's, I hear this from, from, you know, front offices all the time. Oh no, when everyone comes in, everyone's got the same, you know, it's same chance. Obviously we're going to prioritize this player, that player. But if you sign for, let's say you sign, let's say now, let's call it 50 grand, a hundred grand, something like that. And, and a kid comes in <clears throat> Yeah, they have to have some sponsors in their corner, right? In other words, when there's that meeting at the end of the year and they're evaluating who and who they're going to keep around, who they're going to, they have to have some people sort of saying, listen, I know we didn't pay this dude much money, right? But watching him, look what he does. There's something here. We have to prioritize him regardless of the signing bonus. Over my career, I've really rode a roller coaster of like, everybody gets the same opportunity. Everybody doesn't get the same opportunity. Everybody gets, you know, it's yeah. a in, in the middle somewhere. I think ultimately it does matter. It does matter how much you sign for um, just in terms of like how long a team's going to stick with you in terms of yeah. giving you opportunities. What was frustrating for me is um, not frustrating. I, it's just, it's not frustrating. It's just the realisms of the game. Every year there's a draft and every year there's international players that sign because you have to keep signing. And those players, they need an opportunity. And so if you have a guy that's been struggling for a year or two, you're adding new players to the pool and we mm-hmm. have to give them an opportunity. So the other players kind of get pushed to the side. And with yeah. the deduction, you know, the, the the reduction of minor league teams now, you know, when I first got hired by the Mariners, I think we had, they had three more minor league teams than they do now. That's yeah. 90 players. Um, so I think that do players do have to produce quicker. Uh, there's, you can, you have less time to, to kind of sit with a kid and let him develop. Um, in the past teams did some organizations did a tremendous job of giving kids extended chances to continue to yeah. do that. And that, and I, and I think college baseball, especially like, and I know you and I have talked about this, like some kids have no desire to go to college. All they want to do is try to play professional baseball. So they mm-hmm. kind of dictate what they do. Like, hey, that's all you want to do is play professional baseball and not go to college. I get it. I'll give you a chance. 
If there's a kid that's unsure, go to college, go, go get an education. I'm all, I've always been a huge proponent of education. So um, I, I do think that kids, um, it, it just depends on the individual. They should dictate their route so much. Like, Hey, I don't care if I sign for 50 grand. I just want to play yeah. professional baseball, but there are coaches too within an organization or scouts and the coaches get to know these kids a lot better than we do as the, as the scouts do, because they're working with them every day. And um, I had always heard a story that, you know, Robinson Chirinos was with the Cubs, ended up having a really, really long career. And I think he just retired, but there was uh, their farm director at the time with the Cubs, a guy named Oneri Flita. And he was like, we're not getting rid of Chirinos. We're keeping Robinson Chirinos. This kid is different. I don't think he signed for very much money. I don't think he got to the big league until he's 27 or 28 years old. And he played until he was like 36. And it was because one yeah. person was like, no, we're keeping this guy wow. in our system. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's amazing. You always hear those stories about, Hey, oh, so-and-so had your back or whatever it may be. Cause some of the stuff you must hear about from the way they talk about players in those rooms. And I get it. I mean, it's a business, right? They're, they're, you have yeah. to be critical and you have to make some, some, some hard decisions. Who in your opinion has done what organization has done the best job. If you look over the last 10 years, who has the track record to be like, man, as a group, as a whole, whether it be, you know, the, the, the draft international, who has done the best overall job? Are you like, man, they just continue to have that consistency of good talent that get actually get, you know, come to fruition. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I don't know how Tampa does it, but I mean, what Tampa has done over time yeah. with their limited budget and all that kind of stuff is, and then the players that they're putting on the field, half of them I haven't heard of, you know, and I'm like, they do a tremendous job of, uh, identifying the kind of players they want to go after. And then they're able, like their player development system, kudos to those guys. Like they have yeah. done a tremendous job. Um, I think that the Dodgers have had some really, really good picks, you know, Walker Bueller. And I mean, they, some of the arms they're running out are really, really good. Uh, I think Scott Hunter is like, Scott's done a great job with, you know, the, the young starting pitching and Cal Raleigh, like, um, so the, the, it, it's out there. I, I kind of, somebody asked me the question, who's the best GM in the game? And I said, the one that wins the most, um, kind of like just, but you know, I think the Dodgers, like they've always under, uh, Oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> the old, the old Tampa guy. How can I not think it was there? Friedman. They've done the, yeah. Andrew Friedman. I, gosh. Yeah. Uh, they, they've done, they've done a great job. They're, they're always in it. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say, the organization that impresses me the most is Tampa just because they, yeah. they seem to run out every year. It's a new bunch of guys and they're very successful. Yeah. I think too, just with, with Tampa, like, and from what I, you know, we had uh, Kevin Kiermaier on the show, um, you know, Grant Balfour, he's on the show all the time, obviously um, mm -hmm. who you know, talks about that system, even back when Friedman was there. And he just said like, there's just that respect level. And Kiermaier said the same thing from as soon as you get into the system, you know, you get drafted, or you get you sign, and there's that respect level to say, "Oh, this is how we do things here." And from top to bottom, everyone's on the same page. Like I remember, yeah, you know, even back when I was coming through, I, I was with different minor league systems, and some it was, you know, regardless if it was a big market team or not, you just had that feeling like, "Oh, okay, this is the way they do things." And there's just that you respect the the coaches and the way they do things. And then there's some I'm just like, "This is an absolute circus here. Like no one is on the same page. It's crazy," yeah. you know. So the, the organizations that have like continuity, like, you know, the Braves did it forever back in the nineties and early two yeah. thousands. Like 
had the same group of like core long-term coaches and the continuity, like the way they did things, you know, like, you know, bunt defenses and first and third, like the way they did things was uniform throughout the system. So you get moved up a level. You didn't have to be like, these are our bunt defenses here. No, it's, this is how we do it throughout the organization. Like those organizations that have good continuity, like Kansas city, despite the fact that they don't have a great team, they've always had pretty good continuity and they've mm -hmm. done things the right way. Hey, we're back, back to Julio real quick. Was there yeah. ever around the time when you, when you guys, when you saw him and said, okay, this is the dude. Um, and from then to when you signed him to around that time, was there any, anyone's opinion saying, Oh no, I, I disagree. I just don't see it. Or was there any of that where, so, because hey, real quick story. I never forget, man. I don't want to throw a name out there. Uh, even though I think I've done this before on radio or TV or something. Clayton Kershaw, I, mm -hmm. he was pitching in spring training. It was either 2008 or 2009, one of those years. And ever, I couldn't wait to watch him pitch. I was actually pitching against him. I was pitching that game. And there he is, young pitcher. And, and I'm like, oh, sweet. I can't wait to see this dude. Yeah, you know, lefty threw hard, big breaking ball. And there was a a very prevalent, like, uh, sorry, prominent figure in the dugout who said, oh, no, this this kid, he's not going to last. He just doesn't throw enough strikes. He hasn't got the command. And, and the other thing is, too, oh, the makeup, blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting there going, damn, oh, what a bummer. Because, I, yeah, I'm, like, thinking to myself, he looks good. <laughs> he looks really friggin' good. And, and I'm sitting there. Training, and I never, it was spring training. And he goes out and pitches. <laughs> now, mind you, he was spraying the ball around. And sure. it wasn't because of that. This, he hadn't even thrown a pitch yet. And um, this is at Glendale. <laughs> And I'm sitting in the dugout, like I'm getting ready for the game, all fired up. And I'm listening to this conversation. I'm like, whatever. Like, it's that contrarian sort of attitude. But yeah. I'm like, no, nah, he's probably pretty good. But I'm like thinking to myself, in the back of my mind, I had that thought like, yeah, maybe he's just hyped up. Maybe he's just a kid who throws hard, but can't throw strikes. And then I, I never forget it. He pitched the other day against Milwaukee, against the Brewers. And every time I see that dude on the mound, I've seen plenty of them. I love watching it. I always get back to that moment where this one person, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> He's like, no, nah, he's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna last in the big leagues. <laughs> it's unreal, man. You know, for Julio, uh, I, you know, it's, it's it's been pretty positive. I remember <laughs> when I went back and I went, I went back and saw him uh, the next his the next year when he's in the Dominican Summer League. So his first year in the Dominican plan after we had signed him, and I liked him even more. And if my my Mariner reports like my you know, my OFP or my role or like his future potential went up and I, you know, we started getting pretty immediate kudos on Julio. So I think we were all pretty on board. The one spring training, uh, Otani's first spring training, I have a, a national writer call me and uh, he guy is very, very well known. And he goes, Hey, I'm talking to some, and I had seen Otani since he was 19 in Japan. And for me, the greatest could be the greatest player in the history of our game ever. And I don't say things like that. Um, and I'm on record with the Mariners saying that and telling John Stanton, like he's going to get this much money. And now the money that I said is probably going to be doubled. But this national writer calls me up and he goes, I'm talking to these major league scouts at spring training and I'm doing like amateur stuff for the draft. I'm talking to these major league scouts at spring training. They say this Otani guy's a complete bust. And I go, to this writer, I go, I don't know who you're talking to, but you're talking to the wrong guys. And he goes, why are you so convicted? And I said, I know Ichiro's first interpreter. Ichiro struggled when he first came to the States. 
it, it happens. It's a different game. He's going to make adjustments. I said, this guy is a freak of nature. He's the fastest player on the Angels. He's got the most power on the Angels. He's the best pitcher on the Angels. And I, I reeled down this list, and this writer's like, can I quote you on all that stuff? And I'm like, no, not yet. Because, like, you know, <laughs> it's not my job. It's not yeah. my job. I'm an amateur. You know, I'm doing – I'm the, the Mariners director. I think – I can't – what was Ichi, What was Otani's first spring training? Uh, good question. It was uh, 2018. 18, 2018. Yeah. Okay. I think I was with the Mariners. I think I was with the I was with the Mariners still, but I was like, no, you can't quote me on that because it's just it's not my it's not my place. But this guy is going to be really really fun to watch, and he has been. Well, the Mariners were going hard after Otani, right? What? Yeah. We, I, I mean, yeah. I, it was. I mean, how hard? Like. The whole Japan thing, and you can speak from this too. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but the whole J Japanese thing, you really have to sort of build that relationship with these guys, right? In order to, to land these guys or to get them to go to that team, whether it be Otani or even some of the other guys that aren't the iconic players like Otani and Ichiro. Yeah, I think you really do. Like, and they have to know it's such like you've been to Japan. I've been to Japan a ton. Like you go there and you're, it's uncomfortable. It's, I mean, I love being in Japan, but it's not like here. It's it not, it's not like the States. So now you're trying to perform at a very high level and you're in a place that it's a different culture and different things are appreciated. Yeah. And there's a whole personal adjustment that has to go on. So, I mean, I really do like, you have to have things in place with your organization to have those players come over and be comfortable yeah. so you can get the most out of them. Cause if, like, you know, as a pitcher, if you're not comfortable on the mound, you're not going to be successful. I mean, you got to be comfortable where you're standing. For sure. Yeah. It's uh, the whole thing. And everyone's like, Oh, where's he going to sign? I mean, there's so much more that goes into where he's going to sign and how many years than just dollars and you know, years and dollars. There really is, you know, and, and go ahead. Are you going to say something? Well, I was going to say like with a guy like Otani, like we tried to do every bit. I mean, and Jerry and, and Kevin Martinez, and I, there was people in, in the, with the Mariners, like we're doing, you know, ad campaigns and, and all that kind of stuff to, to land him. And there's, we're trying to do all kinds of background work and, you know, getting, you, you couldn't really talk to him. That was, that's not uh, appropriate. That would be a, you know, a breach of uh, rules and that kind of stuff. But you have to get somebody, you have to get information from somebody that's like a close personal friend of his. I mean, yeah, I remember right. going to um, the Nippon Ham Fighters minor league complex when I was over in Japan and just digging around there, just asking, just to see if I could make a connection with somebody to give us some some sort of information. And there was a team, I'll, I'll leave the team out, but one of their international scouts does like the Pacific Rim, was like best buddies and had played in the minor leagues in Japan with Otani's bullpen catcher for the Nippon Ham Fighters. So here's, you know, one of basically Otani's teammate is super tight with the scout from another organization. So he was, he was getting information for this organization that a lot of organi that or organizations right. weren't getting simply because he had a con like a personal contact on Otani's team. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It's a yeah. different, it is a different world. It really is. Um, yeah. But now the whole Otani stuff, fascinating. Cause then we're like, cause the, cause Jerry DePoto was publicly saying like, Oh yeah. Hey, look, we got like he was very forthright and, and everyone was excited oh. around here. Everyone's like, Oh, we're getting Otani. Wow, awesome. That would, yeah. I really think until like the last day, we I mean, Jerry even traded for more money to go, you know, yeah. more international pool money to be able to sweeten the contract, you know, just a little bit because 
uh, at the time, Otani was considered an international amateur, which is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah. playing professionally for five years in Japan, but that yeah. was the, the way it was. So. Yeah. Well, hey, Tim, man, this has been awesome. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to jump on again at some point. When, when we have a, 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 maybe around the draft, uh, maybe around the draft, we're going to have you back on. And you can talk us cool. through how it all goes down and everything else. But, Tim, I appreciate it, man. Th thanks for jumping on with us. And thanks for the opportunity, Ryan. Take care. All right, mates. I hope you enjoyed that episode, that chat with Tim Kistner. He has been all over the world signing big names, just like Julio Rodriguez. Unreal stories. We're going to have him back. I guarantee he's got all kinds of stuff to tell us about different players. I love that Otani stuff too. Very interesting. I needed to dive more into Otani, but next time we will get into that. We've got Mariner Mondays every Monday. Check it out. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you right back here on the top step. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.